If there's one thing I've learnt in losing somebody, it's that the life is incredibly precious. Before Elise died, Elise's oncologist said to me, when the dust settles, I've got somebody you need to talk to. I had three years of intense fortnightly grief and trauma counselling that followed that. That changed everything really for me. That meant I started to discover the person I wanted to be. I realized that I never want to stop having new experiences. When a new opportunity presents itself to me, I have a very, very hard time saying no to it. Life is only significant because of death. We only understand light through darkness. This notion that life is finite is incredibly powerful. If life wasn't finite, then we wouldn't be able to attribute value to it. But once you start to understand the finite nature of life and not be afraid of the finite nature of life, the fact that it will end, we can start to see each day as an opportunity to have a new experience. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, or I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in the world. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald and thank you for joining me for episode 165 with Caleb Plumridge. Caleb and I met at Feel Good Dips in Melbourne probably a year before this conversation and he immediately met me as a very warm human. He is the founder of True South Films, a video production company down in Geelong. He's the eldest of four and he's a man with a massive heart. And in this conversation we talk about how he started in the film industry some of the tragedies that has met him in his life and along his journey, plus a host of other tangible and beautiful things. Thank you to Caleb for joining me for this conversation. If you enjoy listening to this, please like and subscribe wherever you're listening. There's links in the show notes to connect with Caleb and myself. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Caleb Plumridge. Caleb Plumridge, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Rin, thank you for having me, mate. I'm really grateful to be a part of this. Uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, man, you're so welcome. Thank you for joining me today thank in you. my home. It will soon no longer be my home, but... Yeah, I'm the lucky last, am I? You are the lucky last. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, to come through these <laughs> doors. Uh, yeah, man, excited to chat to you today. We've known each other for maybe 18 months now. Yeah, it sounds right. Yeah, feel yep. good dips. Feel I've had a few dips. legends from that community yeah. Uh, on the podcast over that time but yeah you're the lucky last through this house and I'm curious to know you've just walked Kokoda you were mentioning that before yeah yep yes. been up to that recently we haven't seen each other for a few months and then you come back and you've just done that yeah exactly I think I ignored you for a little bit there but it was only <laughs> because I had zero internet or phone um, coverage yeah. but I've been super fortunate mate to just come back from um, Papua New Guinea uh, hiked around about 110, 120 Ks through um, through the Kokoda track, which obviously has a huge amount of significance for both Australian and uh, Japanese um, uh, heritage, really. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to be able to walk in the steps of those young people back in 1942 who did it with without the help of... Um, without the help of the, the support we had doing it. But yeah. on top of that, you know, also bullets flying around, grenades. Like, it was a very emotional time, actually. It was, mm. a, really, it was a really special opportunity to be able to, to hike that track. Yeah. 
nice for about 10 days. It was fantastic. And you worked yep. it as well. You were, I did, you were I filming. did. And this was, this is, um, yeah, I mean, what an opportunity. I was, I'm, uh, I'm a video producer. We'll probably get into that in a little bit. But um, had the opportunity to join this group uh, to, to walk alongside 12 young people from various challenging backgrounds. And the objective from my point of view was to tell a story through video to continue to see corporate sponsorship come through the program so that they can continue to bring more and more young people yep. from these type of challenging backgrounds onto the track, which is, yeah, it's like properly life-changing. What I witnessed in the last 10 days, it was like, yeah, you can see the way that the trajectory of a young person's life changed in that 10 days, wow. which sort of blew my mind, I guess. Yep. So massive privilege. Um, so much fun to have the camera on the track and just shoot. So, yeah. yeah. When yeah. will that piece of work be out to you? Uh, we're going to have it done by the end of the year. Yep. So I think that's the goal. We're going to gonna have it knocked over um, by the end of December. So, yeah, before Christmas, that's the goal. So, yep. yeah, I've got to – I can't muck around. You know far more yeah. than me how yeah. long editing takes. Mm. But, yeah, the, the fun – I think there's fun in, in both parts. But like you mentioned, you've, yep. you know, been a video producer, filmmaker – for many years which i think we'll we'll get into more in a little bit yep. but uh yeah i would love to know as a general throw to you starting with your earliest memory if you could wherever that lands my earliest memory yeah bring us forward to present day touching on a few key moments of your life for i like sure. to challenge people for sure few minutes but yep. wherever it lands and i'll pick from there bro yeah for sure my my earliest clear memory is a really beautiful one actually it was me chasing a cat through a garden in vanuatu I think I was two years old, which for somebody with the most horrendous memory, anyone who knows me well knows my memory is just completely unreliable. Um, I have this very clear memory of running around with a cat through a garden in Vanuatu. Um, and yeah, at the age of two, which is kind of bizarre. Um, I To bring it up to current day, I grew up in Geelong. Um, Geelong kid, born and bred, bounced around a few houses with my mum and dad. And my siblings, um, over the years, uh, I was born in um, a town called Batesford on the, the northern outskirts of Geelong. Beautiful, um, beautiful sort of semi-rural area, which, yeah, just magnificent spot. Really fond memories of that. Um, look, mate, I had a really wonderful childhood. Uh, just, I'm really aware of my own privilege there. I had an incredibly supportive, still do have an incredibly supportive family yeah. who were just there for me the whole way. Um and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think so much of who I am today is I, I can I can point back to that. You know, it's a there's it's a, it's a pretty clear link to be made there. It's an incre- incredible pr- privilege I had growing up, as I say. So yeah, Geelong's great. Done heaps of travel over the years. Um, I spent a little bit of time in London during um, during the COVID years, um, <laughs> but otherwise, always lived in Geelong. Just moved to Melbourne uh, eighteen months ago, and I would have met you only very briefly after that yeah obviously so much else happened in those well 35 five years um but in terms of career stuff uh i just always had a love for cameras i always enjoyed having a camera in my hands yeah and somehow was able to manage to convert that into a, a you know a professional trade yeah yes so yeah yeah Love that, mate. Thank you for sharing. It's interesting hearing you talk about it. And I remember having a chat with you 
after one of the dips that we had in Middle Park, mm. we caught up at a cafe. Yes, we did. I think you yep. mentioned at the time that it was a family member asking you to film their wedding. Yeah, correct. That was sort of the yep. thing that ultimately led to your your company now. Yeah. Which you're on the verge of what, 10 years with True South Yeah, Films? we are. Exactly, yeah. True South Films now about 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was my, my cousin Michael and his wife Lauren were married and... Um, they said they'd pay me to film it. <laughs> and I was like, you'll do what? How old were you at that point? Oh, good question. I was surely still in high school. I would have been 16, I reckon. Yeah. And for a 16-year-old to be paid to do the thing they love, mm. as opposed to stacking shelves at Target, yeah, was just a game changer. Totally. Um, funny, like still to this day, I have to pinch myself. And Kokoda was a good example. You get paid to do this stuff. It's just like, yeah, what? I mean, how fortunate am I? Like, crazy. So, yeah. What's your memory of the first time you picked up a camera and, and created something like that? Um, freedom, I think. It, there was a... Some of my earliest projects have always had a love for documentary making and the first, right back to where it began, it began in documentaries as well. I was asked to produce a... Um, to produce a documentary for a large carols production that the church I was involved in at the time was hosting. And these were amazing productions. Yeah. And dear friend Matt Fletcher, um, g'day Matt, <laughs> um, said, go and make a doco. And I'm like, what's a doco? And he's like, you'll figure it out. <laughs> and I did. And um, that was just, yeah, freedom. I loved, I realised that I had the freedom to tell a story in however which way I wanted. At the time I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. But it is that sense of that sense of creation, that thing of something didn't exist and now it exists and I was the conduit between. Yeah. I just remember that thrill of knowing that I played a role in something coming into creation, which I which I still feel that today. Yeah. Um, it's it's very different now, it's very structured now. There's a lot more there's a lot more professionalism around it and the way we do it. But the same is true. You you still have the opportunity to be the conduit for something being created. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Do you, you have a fond memory or a clear memory of the first time you literally picked up a camera and and handled one? Yeah. Yeah. Actually. uh, So back in the day, my parents had the old VHS shoulder cam thing. Right. And then I'm pretty sure we dropped that. Like we were on holidays somewhere. It had us took a spill. Uh, Insurance covered us to, get one of these little mini DV cameras. So it went from being something, you know, almost two foot long to <laughs> what's that? Like handheld, like, yeah, handheld yeah. thing. And, and I remember getting my hands on that one. That's probably the camera that I have the most fond memories of Yeah, because for whatever reason, that just excited something in me. And I, I just saw it as, saw it as like a tool for creation. And, and um, yeah, I, I just remember from the earliest days we had that camera, I like it was my camera. It wasn't the family's <laughs> camera, it was mine. <laughs> like I cared about it so much more than anyone else, therefore I would make it mine. And I think I think my parents at the time could see something in that and had no issues just being like, mate, go for it. Go, Caleb, go. Go, go, go. You've got two brothers? I do, two brothers and a sister. I'm the eldest of four. That's right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say yeah, they're all all a creative bunch in various different ways. Um um yeah, my my uh, 
from eldest to youngest. Um, Nath is a musician, lives up in Brizzy, uh, school teacher as well, but yeah, incredible musician. I respect his work immensely. Um, Jake is a, a filmmaker as well. We collaborate a lot. He works for us. He's a DP, uh, cinematographer. Yep. He comes on, comes on, shoots a lot of projects for us. My sister's creative in all sorts of ways, um, but uh, works for as a store manager now at Specsavers down in Torquay. Yep. Um, uh, so we've yeah we're we're a really close family. We're you know we don't see each other as much these days. Now we're kind of spread around the country a bit more, but sure. But um, yeah, we're a tight bunch, which is lovely. It's yeah. nice yeah. Mm. that creativity and the closeness. I think innately as humans, we are all creative, whether we acknowledge that or not. And I probably didn't acknowledge that really until my mid-20s and looking back there's so much evidence of the ways in which I was creative I just didn't acknowledge it as creativity for you I'm curious to know if we could maybe start there with the family Mm. what do you think the influences were Mm. in terms Mm. of all of your siblings being creative Mm. I think uh, a simple way to look at it might be your parents but I'm Mm. keen to hear it from you what were the influences that have led specifically you to Mm. this sort of creative line of work <laughs> yeah it's a great question i think and going back to that previous notion that creativity is a broader broader idea than what sometimes we give it credit for it doesn't have to be the in the arts yes type of thing creativity can be problem solving in any way in, in any which way we're solving a problem that is creativity finding a solution there um it, you know could be anything from inventing a new recipe to figuring out a more efficient way to get from A to B in your, on your bike or something, right? Yeah, like totally. That's creativity. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of my family, it is it is easy to start with my parents and I think both of them had exhibited creativity in and, um, very different ways. My mum was, and we talk more about her later, I'd love to, but um, mm. she was an incredible pianist. Um, and taught me how to play piano, uh, which was also a fairly traumatic experience. Um, <laughs> she was pretty brutal, oh, she? <laughs> brutal, brutal with me to a point where I was like, "Mum, I think I probably should go get a piano teacher <laughs> for the sake of our relationship." <laughs> Uh, and it turns out that's exactly the way that her sister taught her to play. Oh, so really? just through like, no, you will sit there and do your scales, mate. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, you know, she's the reason I play today and I'm so grateful for that. That's nice. Mum, an incredible musician. Um, uh, dad was a financial planner for 25 years and really what I always admired immensely about dad was in each of his, I saw him go from financial planning to tour guiding down the Great Ocean Road. He actually did some tour guiding on Kokoda as well, in Papua New Guinea as well, which was nice. the original inspiration for me to get over there. Wow. And now he's into property development. And I I see that as pure creativity in its own way, in that he was never just satisfied to just take a job or something. He was always looking. He was always, he thinks in an abstract way. He thinks about, he thinks about unusual ways in order to make a living. And that creativity has had a profound effect on me, particularly because in my role now is with um, leading this production company, leading True South Film, I have to apply business creativity to what I do every day, even more so these days, more so than a 
than an artistic creativity. Yep. So I think both sides from mum and dad, incredibly influential. Then my brother Nathan and I, we started playing music together at the same time. He learnt guitar, I learnt piano. Um, shortly after we sort of swapped instruments because of course we would, right? They were just there, they're just in, there in the house. Yep. So we would egg each other on and we end up playing in bands a lot together. Nice. Um, the environment, and right through to my, my cousins who I spent a lot of time with, in those early formative years, we all played a lot of music together. We made short films together. We car chases, fight scenes, all the stuff that kids want to do, right? Like, yeah, just it. Yeah, it was. It was a that that part of, like that in those formative years. It was a pivotal. It was a pivotal relationships to have. Mm. I think for me, yeah, yeah, nice. Mm. Curious to know, I guess. Did you have, I guess, before maybe the cousin and wedding situation, mm. and I realise you're probably on the camera a bit before then, did you have mm. an idea of what you wanted to do when you were older? No. 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 Oh, yeah, I did actually. I wanted to become a financial planner because that's what my old man did. Yep. Um, that's what I wanted to do. So I studied, I didn't study film, I studied commerce, did a commerce degree majoring in financial planning. Is it university? At university. Yeah. So that if you think like this was high school that I was starting to get into this, even by the time I graduated, I hadn't seen the light. It right. was it was still then financial planning. But I guess you'd probably be still been filming other things. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But yeah, it right. hadn't clicked. Penny hadn't dropped that this could be a commercial thing. Um so I did financial planning. Thankfully also I think I minored in marketing. Yeah. And that triggered something in me. Yeah, it was creativity in a different way. Marketing was like the the idea of being able to meet an audience where they're at and be mm. able to communicate to an audience. That did something for me that ultimately inspired me a lot more than financial planning. Yep. Um, and that was that really that that one thing led to another from there. But um, I realized I realized that that there was something in the in a more artistic creative space that I knew I'd head into eventually. I just, even then still, I couldn't say that it was going to be yeah. video production, but. So that penny dropping moment, mm. do you think it came through doing the, the marketing stuff? Cause I, I feel like marketing has mm. a dirty connotation to it. Yep. Not that I think it is. I think you well, no, said it brilliantly, it does. you know, where like meeting people where they're at and you know, whether you use the analogy of like turning a light on in a room and showing someone something that they couldn't, see before yep. you know i think marketing is is a great thing if yep. you take a long-term view if it's a short term you know let's sell, make sell, a quick sell. buck yeah, yeah. i'm not about it yeah yep yep correct oh sorry yeah yeah no what w- what was that penny dropping moment because it's it's cool hearing you say that yeah and now as someone um, who you know wants to tell authentic stories through all of the work that you do yep. and i see that in just you as a person as mm. well mm. so i think i i think so firstly the penny dropping moment in terms of let's have a crack at this professionally happened a few years later when I, I was working for the city of Greater Geelong. I got a position there doing some web content stuff. And in the, it, the, the, the position description didn't include videography, but as we had discussions with my incredible manager at the time, Keely Hamilton, shout out to Keely, um, maybe the most influential person in terms of my career I've had alongside me. She, I, I said, hey, maybe we could, you know, I know how to make videos. Does that interest you? And it did interest her. And we ended up, we ended up 
creating this video series called Geelong Business TV, which it's pretty funny going back to those videos now actually, but but it it it, it was so well received at the time that I realised I had something there. Um, we had a bit of a restructure at work. It, it, I, I actually at the time it was um, for various reasons I had my first experience of depression and my old man pulled me aside and said, I don't think you realise it, but I think I think you're suffering a mild bout of depression. Yep. What's going on? Let's have a chat, which was incredible by him at the time. Turns out it was work-related. My, my time in that team had come to fruition, I think, and it was time for a change. And at that point I thought I'd just built a house, had a mortgage, but I thought, stuff it, let's give this a crack. And I thought the worst can happen is I'll rent my house out, move back in with mum and dad. Um, let's have a go at this. And that's where I, I thought, well, the thing I know how to do is video production. Yeah. I feel like there's people that are willing to pay for it. Let's have a go. And, yeah, that was nine years ago now. Wow. So um, here we are now. Yeah. So that, that, that was the penny-dropping moment, yeah. I think, in terms of... Of going out on the, your of, own. Of going out on my own and realising that, that, uh, that I could actually do this for work. Yeah. yeah. Going deeper in that then, mm. talk to me more about Keely. Was it mm, Keely, your, yeah, your Keely, boss? And yeah, Keely Hampson, amazing. Um, I uh, just the type of person who recognises that when her team has a win, she has a win. Yep. And she was never afraid to haul compliments and and praise onto her people. She was really selfless like that. And um, I hope she won't mind me saying this, but I have a very, very clear memory conversation we had in a performance review where she said, where do you want to go? And I said to her, can I be completely honest, I can't see a role within this organisation for me next. I just don't know. I, I can't see one. I haven't spotted it. I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I'm fairly sure it's not within this organisation. And she said, all right, well, when you figure that out, let me know how I can support you, whether it's within this organisation or not. Mm-hmm. She said, any advice I can give you, any training I can offer, whatever, let me know how I can support you to be get to where you want to be yeah and there was such selflessness about that there was such a deep sense for me that she really cared about me as a person not just me as a me as an um as a as a tool for her to be able to achieve her professional ends yeah her professional goals that i mattered to her and i remember thinking to myself in that moment if i ever employ anybody that will be that will be the philosophy I will embrace from day one that it's not they're not just a mat means for me to um to be an end yeah. to be, be an end but you know these people matter in the whole process so that yeah that, that was extremely influential at the time for me yeah, yeah very great mentor boss however you want to frame it in that period of time person mm. who is helping you on your journey it, it reminds me of one of my favorite podcasts which i'll give a shout out to the long and the short of it and their very first have you heard no? Yeah, you're triggering a memory. I might have shared something on my Instagram story <laughs> that you might have seen over the past 18 months, or maybe I mentioned it to you. I, I do talk about them every so often, but uh, the very first episode is called Getting Started, which is obviously a good name for a first episode of a podcast. For sure. But in that chat, they talk mm. about the idea of starting with the end in mind. Mm. Now, this is a concept that 
you maybe can't apply to all of life in a very uh, methodical way because how can you start with the end in mind with relationships or with a whole host of different things, for example. But in terms of a workplace, I really think it's a valuable thing. Mm. And so mm-hmm. interesting to hear you talk about that and curious to hear how now, you know, with the work and, you know, people that you work with at, mm. at True South, how that shows up. But the concept is essentially, okay, if you go into an organisation to take up a role, it will have an end at some point. Mm. You'll likely either move on to another mm. place, mm. quit, mm. retire, mm or get sacked. Mm-hmm. But like in an ideal world, how do you want that end to be? And just having an open conversation about that, I think is really important. Mm. And I don't know of too many places that do that. Mm. And then if you ap- apply it broader, you know, take a relationship, for example, in yeah. a very binary way, Absolutely. you either break up or get married yes. and die yes. together. Yes, correct. You, you know, and correct, it's- mate. It's heartbreaking yeah. in, in that sense, but mm. that's like mm. the risk and reward. You have to risk it in order to get the, the reward. Yeah. Curious to hear you talk about it maybe yeah. more in, in the work that you've done before we maybe get into some personal things, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting, you're touching on a few things that are really, that are really significant and quite sacred to me, which, yeah, will apply to the next part of our chat for sure. But this idea is we shouldn't be afraid of the end. Um, I completely agree with that. Um, nothing's forever. We don't own the people that come into our lives, whether that's professional or personal or otherwise. Um, I guess I've been in enough relationships to to know that when one finishes, that doesn't mean failure. Um, and and again, both personal and professional, that means there was it was significant for the time and valuable in that time and we shouldn't sometimes I get a little bit um tell you something I don't rate is when again whether it's a personal relationship like a romantic relationship or it's a professional relationship when they come to an end there's this this sense or desire to just talk shit about that person (laughs) you know really talk down to them to like like really be like don't want to know them don't want to see them ever again that's something i've seen it at work when people end up having to having to fire a um an employee obviously we see that when relationships break up my philosophy is really to look at that and say say wait there's a reason there's a reason that began in the first place Mm. where was the value in that what can we take from this which applies to all sorts of concepts like gratitude Right, like where? How can we find? How can we? How can we be grateful for these relationships that yeah. have happened? And they're formative. Everything's formative. Everything leads to the place where we find ourselves today, mm. and that's all part of the journey. So, yeah. Um, we should never. We should never rule out these experiences being as being invaluable or as being unvaluable i should say yeah yeah that's that's good in in terms of work yep. you left that company and and started your own back mm. in 2014 yep. yes on the depression point that your dad mm. brought up mm. it doesn't strike me as the thing to do to start your own company when you're facing something like that but I feel, yep. 
and it's actually interesting because I've started doing these conversations with people in the street recently. Yeah. Just going up to them and, and sort of doing this in a very smaller microcosmic way, but yeah. in a way, you know, jumping to the deeper stuff mm. and, and not knowing too much about the person. And I spoke to a lady the other day who's worked in the field of mental health for 40 years. And curious because I feel like it's spoken about a lot more these days than maybe what it was like growing up. We're not too dissimilar in age. Correct. So... <clears throat> you know, I think it's very healthy to have these sorts of conversations. And, and one interesting thing she said is like to not necessarily like over-medicate, but you need to like go out and do things and create. Yeah. And interesting that you then start your own company around that time. I scrolled back in your Instagram feed <laughs> in preparation for this yeah. just to see if I could, you know, I don't know, find find yeah. some things of interest. And one of the things that I was curious about was, yeah, when you started that company and, and what life looked like. And I found the post when I think you like, you know, started, it was a selfie, you had a, like a microphone on the desk and you had yeah. your own computer yeah, yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was April yep. 2014. Wow. Wow. Good research. And, <laughs> and so, yeah. It was too, it was April 2014. Yeah. yeah. So seeing, seeing that and it's like, okay. And, and now hearing you, you know, it's not something that we post about on social media when we're going through hard times. Nah. It's a highlights reel. Nah, absolutely. But yeah. if you're struggling with depression, yeah. maybe not even just for a few weeks, months, it might've been a bit longer mm. doing that and, and starting your own company, mm. I feel like is, is a great example of taking action and doing that. Yeah. But for you, what was that period like? Yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, it was, I will firstly acknowledge that, um, I, I've only had my experience with depression and I'm, and I'm certainly not going to uh, suggest that my experience is the same as other people's experience of depression. Obviously, it can be far more extreme again and it's just awful. It's just an awful thing. But my experience, my experience was my experience and it wasn't much fun. Um, yeah, take me out to that point. It was the classic thing of having no ability to get excited about anything even exciting things i couldn't get excited about things that on paper should have been exciting maybe seeing one of my favorite bands i couldn't get excited it was these classic things um it, it came from a place of purpose or a lack of purpose that i had at the time turns out i like many others probably like all of us are purpose-driven creatures to a degree I'm always at my best when I have a reason for doing something. And at that point, I'd lost the reason for doing the things I was doing. There wasn't there wasn't a reason to be doing it. We had a, as I said, we had a bit of a restructure at work. And at the time, it just felt like it, it was no one's fault. I just think there was a um, – my work fell into a lower level of priority and – there wasn't a purpose behind the work I was doing anymore. And I think it kind of felt most days like whether I turned up to work or not, it didn't matter. Now I was being paid more than I'd ever been paid in my life. I was leaving a, yeah, I was leaving a really well paid job. And that was absolutely fine with me. It didn't matter one bit. It was, it was a good thing to aim for. It was actually, I just used that as a, let's see if we can make that the benchmark. Let's see if I can replicate that in my business. Um, but the money didn't matter. It was, it was this sheer lack of purpose I had, and I, I unpacked that with a, 
psychologist um, at that time, which that was the first time I'd seen a psych and it took a fair bit of humbling to get to that point. Mm. You know, I remember walking through the door for the first time thinking everyone's looking at me, everyone's looking at this bloke who's walking through these doors, what's wrong with him? Hmm. Um, and now that I've had, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big believer in counselling, I'm a big, big believer in getting the old brain tune up. Um, now it's just whatever, but it's... Yeah. um. But back, I remember that being a real humbling experience, but also being the best thing I've ever done. Mm. Mm. Tell me more about that, like mm. the counselling process. Not to, yeah, at all put myself in that category, but like I've been fortunate enough to speak to a lot of people in this situation where I feel like we do go deeper than spread thin, mm. and I've had a mm. few people, not to necessarily mention their names now but after the fact cool. say that like that felt like counseling like i felt like i was just able to chat to to chat and, and go deeper in in ways that i feel like i know i've been able to do a little bit more outside of this maybe thanks to this but also maybe thanks to communities like field with mm -hmm. dips where we met where that is the intention mm -hmm. going in mm -hmm. Thankfully, I've been able to have that with family over the years, mm -hmm. which I'm sure by the sounds of it, you have as well. Mm -hmm. But it's not as common as it probably should be. I in, agree. In, in our be. lives. And, yeah. and on the topic of men, in a way, I feel like there's maybe a bit of a stigma around men going in and getting help. Oh, in there that is. Sense, right? There is. I, I, I think it ties into even the power of journaling. Like just, just being able to express yourself, just being able to have a conversation as we are now, is powerful, right? If you do that simply with paper and pen, also powerful. To be able to look at those words in front of you holds power. Having a conversation with a good friend who can who can respect the conversation is powerful. It doesn't just have to be in the space of psychology. Yeah, that that these unlocks can happen. Um, family support, the likes, absolutely. My experience has been that. A great psych just knows the right questions to ask totally. and is able to, is able to unpack that on your behalf. Mm. And that's the power. You still do the work. If you're sitting in the chair, you're still the one doing the work. Right. But you're just having someone to there to hold your hand, just guide you through it. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's changing. It's changing continuously. Men are getting better at this stuff. Um, I have realised the role I can play in pushing that barrow is to be open with my experiences in receiving professional help, um, which has yes, happened a number of times in my life. I feel like the more I can talk about that and normalise that, yeah. the easier it is for maybe a bloke who hasn't been able to bring themselves to that point to be like, oh, well, Caleb's done it, then, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe I could. Absolutely. So that that's I, I feel that's a role I can play now Yeah. Um, and, and just use that as a – is as a means to because I, mate, I don't give a shit. I think it's wonderful. Mm. I think it's amazing. It's the best. We tune out. We tune up our cars. We, we take them in for a service. How can you not do that for your own brain? Yeah. Um. Anyway, rant, no. rant over. No. I mean, I'll kick off another rant in a sec. Far away. What were you like before that period? In terms of oh, like, yeah. how did it? fundamentally change who you are because i feel like for mm. me like i can look at all these points in my life where a certain event or certain thing changed me and i 
in you know knowing you now for the period I have feel like there's maybe been some times mm. that have done that mm. for you but that specific mm. one mm. starting the business but also going and seeing someone and speaking to them about your life yep. how did that change you then moving forward in how you approached the world and and did practices like journaling like did you even journal before that was that something oh, you did it's a good question when did I I'll throw three questions at nah, you nah, there, sorry. No, that's fine. Nah, we'll <laughs> go through. So firstly, I'm not, I'm, I will like to put my hand up and say I'm not the best journaler. I'm probably one of those classic people that when I'm going through a tough, when I'm having a rough day, I'll journal. When I'm having a good day, I'll forget to, you know, that type of thing. But it's a, but I, I think at that time, the, the psychology helped really played a role to understand myself at a deeper level than just a young man who needed to succeed in his career, right? I think I was... For me, in my mind, success as a bloke was financial. It was probably two things. One, wealth and two, influence. And I was desperate for to have both. Yeah. I would daydream about employing a team of 50 people and earning multiple millions of dollars every year. That was my dream. I wanted to be a multimillionaire by the age I was 30. That was – that's, for me, what mattered. And – I the process of firstly going and seeking the psychological uh, is a psychological help, and then founding the business was a bit of a process of was a bit of a process of breaking that down because I didn't believe that video production was going to be the thing that was going to make me rich. I thought I would have to get into something a little bit more. I don't know, risky. Um, something a bit more hard-hitting, more entrepreneurial, we could maybe say. Sure. Video production seemed like just a thing you did to pay the bills a little bit. Um, so I I think the process really just started to I, – I just for the first time started to question whether that was the right motivation for what it meant to be successful. Um, and then then some pretty significant things happened in my personal life that – absolutely shattered any sense of any 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 kind of sense that yeah financial that wealth and influence was the secret to a successful life so right. that that's probably the yeah that was the final nails in the coffin yeah yeah so even having started the company mm. you still were seeking that trying to build enormous amounts of wealth and yeah i was i was yeah. going to only do I was only going to do video production until I figured out the actual thing I wanted to do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, Interesting how it can be right there. It's right there in front of me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I've, I've heard people talk about this. Uh, one of my favourite podcast episodes ever. I mentioned it many times on this podcast. So regular listeners will, you know, roll their eyes and, but, you know, new audience, new, new guest, I'll share it with you. But... Yep. Episode 214 of the Tim Ferriss Show with Debbie Millman. I've, I think yes, I might have I've mentioned... listened to that. Yeah. yeah so yeah, she probably. talks about as a kid drawing uh, this scene where she's walking down the streets of Manhattan mm. and is describing or essentially drawing her life in great detail. She goes on to be a graphic designer mm. and produces lots of stuff for brands uh, that's... All around the world, I think she mentioned some ridiculous stat like 80% of, or maybe it's a little bit less, 80 sounds quite high, but like a high amount of things she had produced in any 
stores for a period of time. Definitely recommend listening to that. She obviously tells the story of her life a lot better than me here. Mm -hmm. But I drew something when I was a five-year-old and it's around like media productions, Mm. which in a way this is what I'm now doing in my life as a 30-year-old and I wouldn't have been older than – 10 probably seven or eight when i drew this thing and there's like you know soccer players on it and on the back there's like a tv and it's got rjm my initial productions and like i don't know i feel like as kids we're like this moldable thing but we we sort of innately know what our interests are and where we want to go and even though it can be right there in front of us for so many years because i've had yeah a huge degree of random jobs over the years and careers or half careers and Mm. and things like this but i'm fortunate where i've created this opportunity to now be able to sit down and do these things with people but even you know when i started the podcast it was just this cool hobby for me that i didn't i didn't know where it would go and it's still early in that sense like it's not even five year mark of Mm. of having this podcast but i feel like i'm really just starting to like find my feet more in it and and start start a slow jog maybe <laughs> to, to paint that picture mm. so it's been there for me mm. yeah yeah i'm curious to know for you like yep. even then you you still had this thing of oh, i'll do something yep. else later yeah even though you'd been picking up the camera from such a young age yeah it's, it's crazy you said a really interesting thing you mentioned as kids and our minds as kids i'm a big believer that as kids we haven't had the we haven't had our minds clouded by societal expectations and i think i i I think that my time during university only reinforced only further reinforced that actually it wasn't about the camera it was about money and i had to then overcome that i had to actually had to actually dismantle that in my own mind again Mm. um and i think that's what that's what really that's the power of, I guess, maturity, just growing up. Um, it provides. But you're right, as a kid, that's the thing. That was the thing. Music, I had music and I had my camera. And, again, people that know me well know that my spare time is if if I'm not at work, then I'm spending a lot of time in my studio making music or helping other people make music or just playing my guitar. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like cool. it's still there. It's like fundamental thing. It happened as a kid. It's it's still there with me today. Um, yeah, spot on. Mm. What was that thing you mentioned? A few major life things that that shifted. Mm. Yep. But to be able to drop back that social veneer of yeah, chasing money or mm. the societal influences, mm. bang on. Mm. What was the thing that was like? Ultimately, has now shaped the perspective. What was that from in my personal life? Yeah. Yeah, well, let's dive in. Um, I, 2014, go back to 2014, so it's a big year, right? I just started my company. Yeah. Or not a company at that point, just started the business. This thing that's going to make the you thing a that, multi-millionaire. Or the thing that, thing that well, I was going to do <laughs> oh, before sorry. I, the thing I was going to do before I found the thing of I was going to do, course. you know. Yeah. The thing that was paying the bills to get no, there, sorry. Who knows, mate, like, it's so funny looking back at it now. <laughs> um, a few months into that, um, I met a girl, Elise, um, introduced through my brother. We just hit it off. 
And actually, like initially we hit it off, then we had a bit of, you know, a bit of a rocky patch. Um, then I got my, you know, I, I, I realized this is something I, I really wanted and we, we decided to take it pretty seriously. Um, two months after that, like only two months after that, Elise calls me quite distressed and she feels she's felt a lump on her breast. Um, it's not the first time she's had this experience in her life. So, and I knew that. I knew she'd had experiences like this that were that were benign, that wasn't anything to worry about. So we sort of said, well, we're going to take it seriously, but let's just let's just not, you know, not get too far ahead of ourselves. Sure. One thing leads to another. A doctor wanted to get a biopsy done. Um, and fast forwarding a couple of weeks, I get another call from Elise while I was at work, three, four months into kicking this business off. And um, she says to me, the doctors have called and they want you to come along to the appointment to get the results. We didn't say to each other what that meant, but each of us knew at that moment that there was only one thing that that meant. Um, Elise was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, stage four meaning um, that it spread beyond the source and had moved into her lymph nodes and into her spine. Um, For those that, I guess, have some experience with cancer will know that that's not good. Uh, Cancer in the spine is bad news or in the bones, very, very hard to eradicate. Um, we came out of that meeting and my world in an instant, in an instant, was thrown upside down. I knew in that moment that my life immediately moved to a different trajectory. It was instant. I can't tell you how fast that happened. Um, any sense of self in terms of money, wealth, influence went out the door. You talk about purpose. I had a new one in my lap then, then and there. Um, we ended up, I got the results. We drove back to um, my parents' house at the time and we just sat around on the couches with my mum and dad. Um, I think maybe my siblings were there as well. I, I, I can't really remember that, but we we just sat there and grappled with the new reality that Elise at the age of 20, oh, 25 or 26 was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. Um, and that became our journey. Fast forwarding through that process, treatment, tests, results, the works over and over. Um, it's a brutal cycle to be a part of, to be to be to be walking through. It's a really tough thing to experience. The waiting for results is the worst. It's worse than the chemo. Um, waiting for the results was terribly hard. But then the news started to get a little bit better, and Elise entered partial remission. A sense of we could just have a break, just have a break. And in that period, um, we got married, and that was amazing. She was well. Elise was well enough to. Um, uh, to to go through that process and and we were married um, in 2016 and it was 
yeah, it was just wonderful down on my parents' property down the Otways. We had just the best party ever. It was a extraordinary time in my life. Um, but then you're doing the old through thick and thin, through sickness and health. Those vows mm. on that day felt very real, felt very real. Um, I was not under any illusion that this was going to be an easy ride from here on in. Um, and we soon realised that, yeah, it was it, it got real fast than we thought it was going to. I think we can um, – we took off to Bali. We were in Bali in about March of 20 – well, what's the timeline? No, January of 20, um, 2018, and Elise was not well. There was so much pain. There was so much going on in her body. Um, and then in um, – fast-forwarding again, in July of – 2018, Elise passed away. So we had 20 months of marriage. And um, and that was a, an experience that has entirely shaped who I am today. Yeah. It's a shame, man. Mm. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. I, I'm really, yeah. I, I, it's a privilege to be able to share the story. It's very easy for me to sit here and say how much that would shape someone. Hearing you talk about it, I haven't lived that. But I imagine, yeah, if you've got this focus on that, you said before, you know, money and influence, Mm. to then have something so vicious like cancer enter your life and that of your girlfriend, wife, and then there's, you know, almost no amount of money you can throw at it that would guarantee an outcome, yep. unfortunately. Correct. But, yeah, what that does to the psyche, you mentioned you come out of that and your world is flipped. You say the purpose is is now there and I can understand what it might be for me, but could you talk more about that and how the money and the influence just drifted away. I'm curious to know, and I'm I'm trying to be very, I guess, considerate with my words in this moment because yeah. I don't want to say, obviously, anything that seems like, you know, inconsiderate because losing a loved one is, is uh, yeah, horrible. I've had women in my life have breast cancer. My, my stepmom uh, has had a double mastectomy, still with mm-hmm. us, but has, has gone through things like that. But yeah, curious yep. to know. In terms of purpose, I think there's actually, it was so profound that I remember thinking at the time, and I still agree with this notion that maybe just to put some weight around it, maybe with the exception of one day having kids, if that happens in my life. I can't think of anything else in this world that could feel more purposeful than to care for somebody who is sick and then for somebody who is dying. There is nothing more, if anyone listening to this who has experienced that has been there, to care for somebody whose life is, is in a way disintegrating in front of them is the most purposeful thing you can do. Again, I don't have kids, so I, that's, but that's the only other thing 
in this life that I could think of that could come close to that. Um, we live in a world where we are supposed to be obsessed with ourselves. And I'll admit that I am still in many days that person, right? We all, we all, we all do that. We're all motivated animalistic sort of creatures in that sense. Um, but to have something that comes into your life that pulls you away from that and essentially means your entire purpose becomes somebody else as opposed to yourself is actually a bigger blessing than I could ever have imagined. Mm-hmm. It, it is actually a blessing as opposed to I, – I, it was terribly hard and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody and I dearly hope I don't have to go through that again. But in hindsight – the lessons that that taught me and the what that meant for me as a person was was absolutely profound to be able to to be able to have helped in a small way in that situation is without doubt the thing i'm most proud of in my life in terms of achievements to this point it's lovely mm. i very much feel like you're a man who lives and works in a very almost intrinsic nature like Mm. i imagine the caleb i'm sitting with now is the same caleb that i've known at feel good dips Mm. who would be the same caleb at work Mm. now maybe you know obviously you wear different hats in these scenarios but Mm. i feel like it's very authentic in that sense where you're just able to go and and be you yep the the change that happened in that time not to now make this conversation about work solely again. Yeah, go for it. But I'm curious to know, like, how did you then, with what was going on, approach the work that you did? Because I feel like you've probably always been interested in telling those stories, Mm. but Mm. maybe there's more there that obviously then shifts around this world tipping upside down event. Yeah, no, I think you're right. No, it's a good point that I don't really separate the person I am when I'm at when I'm at work to the person I am when I'm outside of work to the person I am when I'm with my mates. Now, there's certain professional obligations I have, but but the experience of losing Elise informed my work entirely from that point on. Again, as we've talked about, the desire to generate huge quantities of money no longer was the main aim of the game. Um, authentic storytelling became crucial because I can talk about this a little bit more. This is a separate thought, but the precious nature of life got to me, right? And it dawned on me that if I've got one crack at this, then I have to make it count. So I think, yes, we do a lot of commercial work. We do a lot of, you know, we do a lot of promo work for for um, commercial clients, Um but even within that, we have a desire to be storytellers during that process. There's a there's a um, real shift that happened. There was a real shift that happened within our work where we started to attract a lot of charities, a lot of not-for-profits, even government organisations who wanted to tell these human interest stories. And we, uh, you know, I'm very proud to say that so much of our work has been done for organisations that are doing incredible things in the community. I'm just super attracted to that. I can't help. I cannot help but take on a take on a client like that, even at a reduced rate. If I really believe in what they're doing, it 
I would rather apply my team's energy into a project like that purely on the grounds that I've got one crack at this and we can use, we have the ability to use the skill that we have as a team to create real influence in the lives of others that without sounding too preachy, that is really significant to me. Totally. And I might, my team know it. I love that stuff. I, I'm, it's the stuff that really excites me. Mm. If that's the stuff that we work on as a team that really moves me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard to separate the professional Caleb in that sense from the personal one because I bring myself to work. And in a way, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware and I almost expect that my team does as well. Not that we're a family. Mm. We don't treat each other like family because that has all sorts of weird connotations. <laughs> but we are, it is a safe environment where we can have a real conversation about whether it be mental health or challenges that are happening in our personal lives outside of work. It's a place where people can feel supported and then apply that to the projects that we work on in a really significant way where where our clients really know that we're doing this from a place of authenticity rather than just a desire to fulfil a brief and get paid for it, mm. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. That's that's how I feel about our approach to work, for sure. Yeah. Mm. And, and the, having them one crack at it, how did your approach to life shift mm. outside of work yeah. from yeah. what happened with Elise? Yeah, it, it, took a, it took a while. I had three years of intense like fortnightly, three years of fortnightly grief and trauma counselling that followed that because Elisa's, um, shout out to Dr. Karen White, Elisa's oncologist, said to me actually before Elise died, she said, when the, death, when the dust settles, I've got somebody you need to talk to. Um, she put me in touch with the most magnificent grief and trauma counsellor who just knew the process, just knew the journey I had to walk. Um and that changed everything really for me. That, that meant I started to discover the person I wanted to be during the, during the rest of my life, I guess, from a, from a point of view of what priority meant in my life. Um, something very simple that emerged from that was that I realised that I never want to stop having new experiences. This is just huge. This is something I've been, even just in the last six months, been ruminating on a lot, really been almost meditating on a lot, is that when a new opportunity presents itself to me, professionally or otherwise, um, it's actually more in a personal sense. I, I have a very, very hard time saying no to it because I never want to become somebody who's not having new experiences. If there's one thing I've learnt in losing somebody, it's that life is incredibly precious, incredibly precious, and it, it all comes out of that belief. So um, death is not something that should be feared. Death is, in fact, a part of life. Um, that, yeah, I could, I could bang on a bit here, but I'll try to keep this succinct. Life is only significant because of death. Right, I grew up with this listening to this band Switchfoot, um, uh, a band I still love. I still love listening to today. They've got a track called "The Shadow Proves the Sunshine." This very, very notion that we only understand light through darkness. Shadow proves the sunshine. 
we see a shadow, we know that means the sun is there. This notion that life has is life is finite is incredibly powerful. It means that it, it if if life was if life wasn't finite, then we wouldn't be able to attribute value to it. But once you start to understand the finite nature of life and not be afraid of the finite nature of life, the fact that it will end, we can start to see each day as an opportunity to have a new experience, as an opportunity to do something new, as an opportunity to make a difference, um, to become better people, to get around people, to to laugh, to have fun. Um, I think about this a lot. I mean, even this Kokoda trip that I've just been on, I got pulled in at the last minute. I had about four yeah. or five weeks to prepare, which may sound like a bit. It wasn't. I was preparing right up until the 11th hour for that one to mm. get ready. And I had a beer with a couple of mates and I'd been asked the day before, I said, boys, I need a, something to put to you. I've been asked to do this job and I've got these three reasons, these three or four reasons why it's going to be really hard to do it. How am I going to power my cameras for 10 days? How am I going to possibly take that many memory cards? How am I going to make sure that I had a, li- I had a list as long as my arm of reason, <laughs> reasons I shouldn't do this trip. Yeah. And they said to me, maybe in more in stronger language than this. You can be as colourful as you said, want. <laughs> they said, shut up, mate. <laughs> Pull your head in. Is this the Caleb we know or is this, is this a joke? Like, this is what you live for, mate. Don't be, don't be an idiot. Say yes, figure it out. Mm. And that's absolutely what I did. So Max and Dave, thanks for that, boys. Um, it was exactly what I needed to hear and it was, it, that, is, that is how I truly feel about life. It's like, say yes and figure it out. Mm. Um, it's too precious. Love that. I don't even know what your question was, mate. I'm just rambling now. No, it's good. This is this is where we need to be. The the life is finite. Yep. And the beautiful analogy that you said in terms of you know having to have the darkness in order to see the light. The idea of, I guess, appreciating life a lot more after the having lost someone mm. is as beautiful as it is tragic. Mm. But how do you think, and I realise this is not a blanket statement for all humans, there are, I'm sure, plenty of people out there who appreciate life having not gone through something like that. But I think there's a, yeah, a, a, clearly a, a different respect in some cases for a lot of people who have gone something through, mm. who have gone through something like you've gone through. Mm. How do you think we get to that point without having lost a loved one? Mm-hmm. Do you think that is possible yeah i mean i have to believe it's possible um i think losing somebody in this way forces your hand really well not even actually i think sadly sadly we see too many situations where people go through this and end up moving the opposite direction yeah right actually end up living less jump on the hedonistic treadmill or something or just withdraw a little bit a little bit i think um, very quickly, I had a meeting with, I'll get back to your question, but a bit of context here. I had a meeting with Elisa's um, palliative care team, incredible nurses and doctors who came every day and really in the final days to our house um, to care for Elise. And they came back the following day. They wanted to sit with me and just chat. And I remember at that point making a pledge to them that went simply that I refused to become Caleb who never recovered from losing 
his wife at the age of 30. I will not become that person. I will not become somebody who does not recover from this. And that ultimately is the promise I've made to myself and to others at the time and I've made it publicly before and that I, I'm i still making. Like I, that, That's what drives me really. It's like I, I, I'm not going to let myself down there. Now, how do you do that without... How do you do that without um, having gone through a traumatic experience, I suppose? Well, I see people doing it all the time. I see people making a choice to do that. I think there's a... It's... Is it just a choice? Maybe it's too simplistic to say it's just a choice. I think sometimes we are also the product of our environment when it comes to this stuff. I, You know, I guess the debate could rage here, but... I think simply asking yourself, where do I sit? Where do I sit on that on that continuum, I suppose? Am I somebody who's seeking new experiences and, and, and seeking life for its fullest? Or am I somebody who's maybe too afraid to rock the boat? Too afraid to too afraid to experience a new thing? Possibly because it could lead to failure. Possibly because it could lead to embarrassment. Possibly because it couldn't be, you know, possibly because, you know, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Whatever the reason is, I think it's worth asking that question. I've certainly in this last few years had a crack at a few things that haven't worked out. Had a crack at it. Do I regret them? Regret's an interesting idea. I don't know. But... Not everything has gone to plan, <laughs> that's for sure. Sure. But I guess in that sense, no, I don't regret it because that's part of the philosophy of living. It's part of the philosophy of having new experiences is yeah. that they're not all going to be good. And they're not all guaranteed. They're not all guaranteed. But the worst case scenario is to not have a, not have a crack in the first place. So I think there is – I think that is a choice maybe for me – that choice comes a little bit easier than it would for others. Um, again, I can only speak to my own experience there. Mm. But it's worth asking the question, right? It's worth Absolutely. asking the question where you're at. Well, I think it's a self-awareness piece as well mm. in terms of not to sound like the most self-aware person ever because I'm certainly not. Oh, me neither, mate. <laughs> no, of course. Here are two, two blokes from Melbourne having, chatting on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like you have to have some form of self-awareness in order to even like look and reflect and acknowledge those things. And I think so. Yeah. I, I feel like there's obviously degrees of self-awareness, mm. but I know personally speaking, having never lost a close loved one who isn't in their older age and mm. it's, mm. you know, obviously a bit more expected. I mean, even that I know when I lost my mum's, parents my grandparents Omar and Opa just like the 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 feeling of like there's no right or wrong way to act in losing a loved one and I remember like my reaction to my Omar passing and I wasn't that upset mm -hmm. but it was this feeling of just like yes there was loss mm -hmm. but I didn't know why I wasn't Mm -hmm. more upset yep. and I was just like I'm the eldest grand mm. kid on that side of the family I was like dude like you should be more upset like are you just some psycho like I think I was maybe like 17 at the time end of high school maybe yeah. so it was it was quite weird but 
even not being more upset enabled me to think more about like my existence and become more self-aware. So it's sort of just like, well, whatever the process looks like for you, whether it's specifically related to death or whether it's through failure in business, relationships, whatever, it's like, well, hey, maybe you're exactly where you're meant to be and if you just keep keep going and keep keep digging. Mm-hmm. I really like the analogy in these podcasts, like rather than let's spread thin and chat about all different things, let's go, let's go a bit deeper. And yep. so, yep. yeah, maybe yep. you're exactly where you need to be, but you just need to yep. get in the trench and, and take responsibility for yourself, which is sort of what you're saying it feels like. Like you're not going to be the Caleb, the 30-year-old dude oh. who lost his wife. Yeah, Um the blame game is productive in no way, right? Um, yes, we have circumstances in our lives. Um, I've spoken about this a fair bit. That's not about the cards you dealt, but the way you play them. I cannot control the cards I've been dealt. Um, but I do have control over my reaction to that. I have control over what happens next. Um not taking action and finding a way to justify that through blame is I just can't I it, I can't handle it. You say that again, sorry? Not taking not, action not taking and justifying action it and justifying your your inaction through blaming circumstance yes. or others is completely detrimental. Yeah. I do not believe there is any future in that. Um I've just, yeah, I'm quite passionate about that. Um, also, without, without sounding too harsh about it, like I've I've found myself in that situation before. For sure. And I guess it's just that there is a way out of that. There yeah. is a way out of it. So it's not beating up on people that might find themselves in that situation, but that there is a hope that you can overcome that, that you can actually, you can actually, there is a way through, whether it's professional help, getting the right people around you, to pull your socks up and say enough is enough. My circumstances are my circumstances, but they're not, they are not me. Yeah. It's not the entirety of me. Um, you know, part of my, I moved to Melbourne largely for that reason as well. It look, it's funny cause it's only what 75 Ks up the road from Geelong, but you better believe that was traumatic in the sense of, I wasn't making that move in order to have a longer commute back to my mates in Geelong. I threw myself in the deep end to create new connections, feeling incredibly lonely, going on dates because I wanted friends, you name it, right? Like that talk about self-awareness, it took a bit to understand where my motivation was at different times. I've been so fortunate now that with the relationships I have here, and the fulfilment I found in that move, it was absolutely objectively the right move, but it was hor- horribly hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone who's anyone who's moved from A to B will know that. Doing it single, doing it, you know, off my own bat, forcing myself in situations. I mean, it's how you and I met, right? Yeah. Because I was like, I need to get involved in communities. I need to find that, and it paid dividends. Um, but I suppose again, that's just an example of. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let my circumstances. Yeah, 
um, restrict restrict my potential, I guess. Yeah. When was that move? It was a couple uh, of years ago, was it? It was last year. Um, May? May 20... Uh, what are we? 22? May yep. 22. So I think it was about 18 months ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really, really positive time in my life. Hugely positive time in my life. Timeline-wise, I think you lost your wife 2018, you said? Yep, 2018. Mm-hmm. We obviously had all that malarkey mm-hmm. with COVID. Yes, we did. What led to the move? You said, you know, seeking that community, maybe more connection in that regard. Yep. But yep. there's obviously a few years there, and you do mention, you know, counselling. Yeah. Obviously yeah, trying sure. to recover. Uh, I'm not trying to just go, oh, why didn't you move straight away? Uh, but can, but what, what led you to going, okay, because, I mean, mm. 75Ks, it's still, it's a decent move. Well, especially if you don't know anyone or, yeah. or many people. I think the answer to that is that I always, in the back of my mind, I wanted to. I came back from a trip in Europe. I went to Europe in 2019. That was a fairly significant trip. I came home from that feeling very uncomfortable in Geelong for reasons I couldn't really put a finger on. For what it's worth, I love Geelong. I think it's the greatest. Yeah. I'm fairly sure at some point I'm going to be living there again. Not anytime soon, but what a great place to raise a family. What a wonderful place in general. I just lived there all my life. It was I needed a change. I can be a little bit more specific about this. Um, I came back from that trip in 2019. We're talking about 18 months after Elise had passed away it, during this, probably the last five or six years, um, many of my friends I grew up with, my, I feel like most of my friends I grew up with, you know, their lives are progressing in the way that, that lives progress. They're married, they've got or partnered up, they've got kids. Um, I, I, I need to be very clear about this. I have the just so much love in my heart for these friends and, and like so much love in my heart for these kids that have come into my life as well. But I guarantee you I'm not the only one feeling this way. What that did to my mental health was not great. I felt like I had failed because I was not having that same experience. Sure. I did not have kids. I was not in a position where kids were going to happen anytime soon. And I, if I'm to be really honest, I probably started resenting um, some of those friendships in which, which is ridiculous. Sure, that's my issue. Not that, like that's just a what a ridiculous thing to feel resentment for. But, but it's the feeling. It's the feeling. Like me not being upset yep. that my grandma's dead. You don't 100%. know where it's coming from. But hundred percent. It's, it's the feeling, thing. and it's about understanding that. And I had a realization that I actually needed to change my. I ch- need to change my environment in order to free myself a little bit from what felt like a bit of a mental prison of sorts. Um. And that's been that's been maybe the greatest benefit that now I like still regularly catch up with these mates who are so 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 dear to me, mm. and I that resentment is completely removed, and I just love I just have love in my heart for these families yeah. who are my oldest and bestest friends, like that that's and it's created the balance in my life and I, it's removed this pressure within me that I need to be a father within X amount of years. Again, maybe that's where I had a, if, if back in the day it was wealth and influence was a sign of success, maybe parenthood then replaced that in a way in my, like in my thirties. Yeah. 
And I think that that was the new battle. That was the new one that I had to overcome. Um, and again, I can say hand on heart that I've been able to free myself from that, which, you know, is it is amazing because if that may happen to me one day, that may not. Um, either way, I'll be okay. I'll make something of this life. Yeah, you know I mean, so I think that was all also part of the part of that um, part of that motivation to move. I, I wanted to move before COVID, and then probably a good thing I didn't because <laughs> Geelong was a hell of a better place to be living. <laughs> Um, from what I've heard, yeah, yeah, Amen. from what you've heard, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the things you're grateful for. I guess that was that was the right move um, during that time, but or the right move not to make, yeah, at that time. So, yeah. well, like you said before, you you played the cards that you were dealt well, yeah. in that sense. So, yeah. I'm glad you moved, man. It's um, thank you, man. It's yeah. been a pleasure meeting mm. you. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, we mentioned you mentioned before we started recording that you know we'd we'd had to work through a few things to to get to this point but like it takes as long as it takes and that's yeah. the beauty of it i think i was you know in preparing for these i always like to look at yeah when the person came into or when we came into each other's lives and i scrolled back and i think the first time we we texted was like december last year um and whilst yeah, it's you know right yeah, whilst I maybe haven't, you know, we haven't seen each other in the last three or four months, I'm very grateful that you're able to come here and, and share what you have with me today. Um, yeah, it, it it means a lot. And, you know, you've got, I mean, we could talk so much more about the work that you do and maybe we can do a part two. You know, we've all, all of a sudden been talking yeah, here for, yeah. you know, close to an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few more questions that I'd I'd like to touch on, but Far away. I just yeah appreciate all that you've shared. Well, can I say thank you for creating a safe space to <laughs> have a conversation? Um, yeah, it's 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 something that again, as I said earlier, I I my well my my great hope is that my experience can be used for in a, in a positive way mm. in my life. So thank you for creating the space, mate. You're welcome, bro. Mm. Mm. You're welcome. Awesome. I believe last year you lost your mother. Mm. I'm not sure if you want to speak about that, but very you, happy to. You did mention before your mm. mother's mm. influence, mm. and yep. yeah, keen to hear how that. Mm. I mean, you seemingly moved just before that would have happened. Very shortly before, actually, yeah, yeah. So, mm. um, yeah, that yeah. Um, that was that was not, that was just a horrific time in our family's uh, life. I mean, we're still we still are grappling with that. Uh, Mum was diagnosed with a brain tumor that began as headaches. In oh gosh, I'm, I, it feels like a little bit of a blur, but I believe it was in around March, February, March of last year. So, of last year, had some headaches. Um, Mum passed away on the thirtieth of June. It happened very fast, and the um, and um, seeing seeing her mind fail on her in the way that it did was really traumatic. Not just for me, but for my family. We, it, it, it's it's not something I I actively remember. I we we all go out of our way to remember Mum for the life she lived 
not the person she was right before she died, but we saw some pretty horrific things. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people said to me, geez, can't believe it. You know, you lose your wife and then you lose your mum. And it's, and of course, it, yeah, it's not what, it's not what I planned. I think it, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it is traumatic. Um, but at the same time, losing Elise prepared me to lose mum. And when mum began to get sick, it was impossible for me not to do a little bit of, a little bit of work in my mind around, what if this is the end? Not to catastrophize, but what if this is the end? How, how am I with that? How am I feeling about that? And I went through a period of grieving before we were even close to getting a diagnosis. But in my mind, it wasn't good. It was not good. It was looking really, it was looking really bad. Um, and I think that helped me. I've had a very similar experience to you, though, um, in not visibly expressing my grief in the way that I felt I should. Uh, and I journaled this one out like a madman I did. Uh, had a week in Byron Bay within a couple of months of mum passing away and um, was journaling about this notion of, I was writing, I wrote a letter to mum, what is wrong with my head, mum? Like, I miss you, but it's like I can't cry. It's like I'm just not there. What is going on? I'm either a psychopath or there's something else going on. And the more I re- the more I journaled and the more I reflected and the more I had conversations with people, it's actually fairly simple and that is that I'd prepared myself for this. And we went through a really, like, as mum was, you know, as mum was dying, we said our goodbyes, we spent time with her, I was there with her by her bed. Like, we got to do that all, like, our family got to do that. And we did the best we could in that situation. Yeah, I miss her terribly. Like, what, I, what I'd give to have coffee with her this Arvo what I would give. Um, but at the same time, I have a piece that she lived a life that was like so full. And um, and my own reflections around life and death prepared me for the fact that, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the end of that story. So, yeah. Tuffy. The Cats went and won premiership last year. Um. And whilst it was sad that mum didn't get to see that as a devoted Cats fan, it was incredibly significant. We got to the grand final um, and I was sitting next to my dad. Robbie Williams was playing the pre-show singing Angels. And here I am with my dad holding each other. It was, it was, mate, it was something. And then it's like that moment where the game begins, Geelong dismantle Sydney, and it just felt like it was written for mum. Um, and yeah, I yeah, what do you say? It was a it was a shocking time. It's still something that as a family we're grieving actively every day. But um, but yeah, we're 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 a strong unit. We'll get through this. Mm. Mm. You will. Mm. You will. 100%. Will. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate. Almost <laughs> making me cry, bro. No. I, yeah. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. But. Y- you know, the, the Hope Initiative is the name of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And as 100%. much as hope is important mm. to have, 
the initiative part and the taking action part is just as I think, you know, I, I sign off the episodes with keep creating your life. Like you've got to actively do that and, yeah. and put these things in and fuck, it could all be just like, oh yeah, there's these cliches with on that, but it's like, that's actually what life is. It's yeah. those important things, those important moments, going on the footy with your dad. Mm. You know, it could be very easy to go, oh, well, we lost mum, you know, a few months ago and she was a big Geelong fan. So mm. like, I'm not going to go because I'm feeling super sad, which is like, I get that point, but like, yeah. we're all we're all going to yeah. die I'm at some you. point, I'm and we're all going to have loved ones who are left behind. Mm. Hopefully, after mm. we move on, mm. and they're going to keep living. Hundred percent. And it's the brutal notion have to keep living. So, mm. I mean, for for you, then I'm curious to know what does life look like? What is your vision for the future? Mm. Do you have something that you're working towards? I, I'm i just going to ask it because this is the question Far that away. comes to mind. Do you want to find love again? Do you want to have a family? Mm. Is that something that is important to you? Yeah. Yep. What What is the future for you? Yeah, the, f- the future for me, I'll tell you, before I get into that, I, I think something did change dramatically within me during that period that, again, we've spoken a lot about how I, I was quite I, – I really was a visionary as a young man. Yeah. Like, I really was. I was going to take on the world. Um, through the experiences I've had in life, my, I, I forced my time horizon to shorten. So my thinking became, you know, you can talk about mindful, you can call it mindfulness, call it whatever. But I needed to pull myself back into the moment, to the day. And I would say, honestly, I haven't quite – there's probably a balance there between planning and <laughs> living for today. And I'd say if I, if I swayed one way or the other, it's still towards mindfulness. It's still towards the day. Yeah. What does today offer me? What, like, who am I with? How can I be most present? That sort of thing. I'm still not like, even at work, my team will tell you that, you know, we're trying to establish a vision for our company and I'm finding it difficult. Like we're finding it difficult because, because I think, in a sense, we already know what we're about as a team. Um, but our focus is on giving our 100% where we find ourselves in the moment. Um, that, so there's some work there I have to do. But I, I think, yes, in short, I, I think I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm far less married to this idea of children today. Um, I, I think it's something I want. Yes, if that happens in my life, then I'll be grateful for that. I'm not placing my value in that. Yeah. And I think that's that's the crucial part for me. Now I'm only 35. Like let's not let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. Yeah. Like, you know, I got time. But it's it is it it is something that I've become comfortable with the notion. I've got really good friends that are in a similar situation. We talk about this. If it happens, it happens. If not, it doesn't. Um and and yes, one day one day I'd love to be married again. Um but that's also not that's also not where I place my value. Um, it's that's not who I am. That's not the that's not the core of the value that I am. It's not it's not that's not my identity. Yeah. So in, where, where, in any sense. where do you place your value then? That's a curious next question. 
Uh, oh, good question. Um, where do I place my value? Um, I think there's a there's a the notion of leaving this place better than the way you found it that resonates with me a little bit there. That that. And this isn't, won't always be the case, but I'd like to think that if I turn up to a place, I can offer something that can be that that can whether whether it be as simple as being at a party or something, but trying to contribute, trying to be a positive force in a place I find myself in. Now that doesn't always happen, but but it, it it's almost like wherever I am at a place, I'm trying to be. I'm I'm trying to be a positive influence in that place without again without sounding too um, preachy. I suppose it's just I suppose I've removed myself from having value in any one single place, and it's more about it's more about the way I go about it rather than what I'm doing. Put it that way. Having the, had this conversation when I was hiking Kokoda just this last week, that as I've grown, as I've gained in maturity. I respect people less so for what they've achieved and more so for the way they've gone about it, the way they've treated people. One one fellow that was on our tour challenged me by saying it's about it's about how you treat people that can't really offer you anything. How do you treat those people? Right? Maybe it's wait staff, maybe it's maybe it's somebody in a lower echelon of society than you find yourself in. How do you treat those people? rather than just those that you're trying to influence around you, I suppose. Again, rambling a little bit, but maybe I'd say that's a great question, but I think I could probably sum that up into I'm more concerned about the way I do something rather than what I'm doing. How about that? Yeah, beautiful. Well said. <laughs> Not a ramble at all, bro. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate the words, the consideration that you've taken in sharing all that you have today. My pleasure, mate. It's been really nice. I would love to know, this is a sort of question around why I started the podcast, but I wanted to ask the same question that the big podcasters asked their massive guests. Yeah. And in the same way that you're sort of phrased it there, I wanted to ask the everyday person, my dad, my neighbour, bloke I've met, Jumping into the ocean, seven <laughs> fifteen <Yep. 7.15 laughs> on a bloody Wednesday morning or eight thirty on a Sunday. Hundred percent. Yeah. So my question to you, Caleb, is: What advice would you give to your younger self mm. if you could go back? Perhaps that 15, 16 year old kid who is first getting asked to film, or you know, gets that that camera, not sharing it with his siblings. <laughs> yeah, correct. If you could go back, yeah. what advice would you give? Be grateful for that time in your life, mate. Um, those teenage years slash early 20s are just so precious. Um, life hasn't life hasn't got to you yet. Well, for me it hadn't. For Certainly for some young people, life has absolutely got to them by that stage. I'm fully aware of that. But for the 16-year-old Caleb... Be really aware and just just grateful for the time you find yourself in because it will change. You know, it's not going to be like this forever. Um, 
you know, also probably keep that ego in check a little bit. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just be just be mindful and just grateful for the situations we find ourselves in. Yeah, I'd say that for Caleb every year in his life. Mm. Yeah, if you could send a message then, and thank you for mm. that. That is really really good. If you could then on that same notion of every year of life, if you could project into the future and send a message mm. to maybe your 70-year-old self mm. who's lived 35 more years. Mm. Mm. We've already talked about it. Keep having experiences. Mm. Keep having experiences. I'd say actually two things. Keep having experiences and always be willing to be wrong. Never, I'm such a believer in this, never be afraid to learn something new. Never be afraid to reshape your belief system. Um, I've been doing you know, from everything from politics to um, my understanding of faith to the way I see other people in society, I've been challenging my belief systems, the variety of belief systems pretty heavily in the last five years. And I never want to stop doing that. I want to believe that in... 10, 20, 30 years, I will, I will have challenged my sense of belief today in a, in a really constructive way yeah. that I, I, I want to believe something different in those years to come that's come out of further, further discussions, being open with myself, not ever, ever believing that I've got it all figured out. Yeah. Going forward, that's my biggest fear that I would somehow get stuck in the mud that I would stop having new experiences and that I'd believe that I've got it all figured out. That's the, that's the, that would be the thing that would fear, that I would fear most about the future. Yeah. And that I'm as determined as anything to not allow to let happen. It's quite a task you've set yourself. Yeah, I know. I like it. <laughs> Good luck. I mean, I'm curious then to know like what's, I know I'm sort of wrapping this up, but each time you speak, I'm just no, like, sorry, oh, no, I want yeah, to pull that string. No, don't <laughs> apologise. As long as you're cool to keep yeah, answering. Yeah, 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 go for it. Yep. What's been one thing that you feel like maybe you've changed your mind on that's, that's something that you maybe thought you wouldn't have from any point in, in time, whether it's in the past few years or just in general? Or perspective shifts, mm. Mm. whatever that looks like. Oh, actually, there's actually a lot. Because um, I think it's so valuable yeah. to yeah. be able to change one's mind. I actually think it's such a mm. strength and a skill to go, hey, I've been presented with new information. Mm. Here's a new thought and not mm. to... Mm be a stubborn, mm. in our case, Australian yep. <laughs> bloke yep. 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 and go, no, that mm. position that I marked in the sand is mm. my my line forever. Yep. I'll give you one. I'll give you one. And this is actually getting into the territory of um, about as personal as I'd be willing to go, but happy to do it. Uh, faith. Let's talk about faith for a moment. Um, I, I grew up with a really strong faith through my teenage years, through my 20s. Um, to be very clear, it's not as though I've thrown that out the window. But in the past five years, I've finally had the confidence to ask myself 
some pretty hard-hitting questions in regards to that where I finally didn't feel that expectations of other people would stop me from would stop me from starting to ask those questions now I admire anybody to be clear anybody who can say with full confidence that they are a believer in any faith or that they're an atheist that you can have that level of conviction I admire it I'm nowhere near that mm. I'm nowhere near that if I can be really honest for a moment yeah um, again speaking of the speaking of the notion of continuously challenging oneself being open learning what we have is our experiences in life that's the one thing we can hold on to you can have other people's anecdotes you can have other people's input but the one thing that you can actually hold on to is your own experience and I think that's the thing that I've been um, that's the thing that's driven me my own experience has just driven me to to start to reframe a little bit about what my actual belief system is when it comes to faith mm. now there's a there's a huge amount there that i could speak about in a lot more detail which i won't but that for me at the age of you know 30 onwards was quite the journey continues to be quite the journey yeah um and one that i'm doing in the most respectful way i possibly can because as i say i've i'm a respecter of I'm a respecter of people and and the, and the and the places in which they land with this stuff. Yeah. Either way, um, and that's that's been the challenge doing going through this journey and and doing it in a in a respectful way. Mm. Love it, mate. Well, I think you are doing it in a great way, very respectful way. Thank you for all that you've shared. Thank you, mate. Looking forward to being in each other's lives in some capacity, no doubt, in the future. Hundred percent. Whether it's something like this, filming some things, who knows, jumping in the in the ocean. Oh, hopefully many more times, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's been a pleasure. Any Thanks final sure. thoughts that you'd like to share before before we go? Where people can no. maybe get in touch as yeah, well. Oh, put yeah, 100%. Links and things um, uh, in, in show notes, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, from a, um, uh, from a professional point of view, uh, True South is on LinkedIn and Instagram and all that stuff. Um, LinkedIn. We are barely on LinkedIn. <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, Instagram is the easiest way to catch us there. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm dreaming up a few other side creative projects, things that are not related to my professional world, but ways that I can use my love for music and film in uh, sort of me being able to do what I want without knowing that there's dollars attached to it, mm. that I can just do whatever I want. I'm really, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm brewing on. So keep an eye out for that stuff, no doubt. If, if I can make that happen, it'll, um, it'll be on the socials as well. So, Beautiful, yep, mate. Yep. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for today. Ripper. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate the time. You're welcome, Thank you. bro. So there you have it. Another episode of The Hope Initiative. Thank you so much to Caleb for joining me for that conversation. I really appreciate your time and energy coming to my place. On, I think there was the day I was moving out there or thereabouts so appreciate your time mate if you enjoyed this conversation I would love for you to share it with someone who you think will get some value out of it a family member or friend so that would mean the world and until next time keep creating your life and all the very best